Hi, I'm Susie Ann, in for Sasha Ann Simons, and it's time for Reset's weekly news recap, where we go behind the headlines of the week's top stories. The mayor's pick to lead the city's civilian office of police accountability won final approval. Thomas Cullerton has resigned as Illinois state senator and now plans to plead guilty in a federal embezzlement case. Mayor Lori Lightfoot denying that the vote on her victim's justice ordinance was delayed because there was not enough support to pass it today. Children from St. Nicholas Cathedral School gathered in church to pray for peace in Ukraine. Many have family there and are frightened this morning. We've got a lot to talk about. My panel today is WVON commentator and attorney Kimberly Agowen. Kimberly, welcome back. Thank you so much. Great to be here. And Paris Schutz, WTTW correspondent and co-anchor of Chicago Tonight. Hi, Paris. Hey, Susie. Great to be here. So let's get started with how Chicagoans are reacting to the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, Paris, your colleague Amanda Vinicky spent a lot of time in Chicago's Ukrainian village neighborhood over the last week. What are residents saying? Well, I think like everyone else or most other people, shock and anger uh, that this actually happened. A lot of residents in Ukrainian village. And let's be clear that the Ukrainian-American community in Chicago is dispersed mm-hmm. all over the region. But that was kind of the locus yesterday for some of the demonstrations. They, they have family in Ukraine that they're worried about. In, in some cases, mothers, fathers, grandparents that are huddling um, in, you know, in metro stations and calling on you know United States and, and the West to, to to stand with Ukraine in, in more than just you know words, but in action too. And and you saw Senator Durbin saying that that the U.S. and NATO countries should supply arms and weapons mm-hmm. to the Ukraine uh, Ukrainian people as as they fight now uh, for their sovereignty or to keep their sovereignty uh, from the Russian aggression. Kimberly, how have WVON listeners been reacting to the news of Ukraine? What a great question. You know, I think that the audience in general, we've been talking about this for months, the possibility of Russia invading Ukraine. And we've had some pretty good experts on to discuss the background and the foundation of, you know, the disputes from the 90s, you know, talking about when the fall of the Soviet Union and Russia making an agreement with NATO that none of those former countries would be brought into NATO. And that... Um, agreement being, uh, quote-unquote, violated. So I think a lot of people who have called into the show are more concerned about the use of United States troops and this idea that soldiers are being sent, uh, 8,500 was the latest number of soldiers being sent from America to Europe, I guess in peacekeeping efforts or whatever they're saying, but the concern about America once again uh, being the peacekeeper for the world and getting involved in potentially getting involved in this dispute. Certainly something we'll be keeping an eye on. Now we'll turn to state politics. Illinois State Senator Tom Cullerton, who represents West Suburban Villa Park, resigned after reaching a plea deal on embezzlement charges. Pears, what exactly did Cullerton plead guilty to? Well, it's interesting because he had initially pleaded not guilty, and there are more than three dozen embezzlement charges here. In essence, that he was taking full-time salary and health benefits from the Teamsters Union for not lifting a finger to do any work for them at all. You know, he was a state senator full-time. And so he changes his plea. And what's interesting is there are so many related investigations here. The, the person that allegedly sort of arranged this sweetheart deal for him, John Coley, the head of the Teamsters Union, is involved in his own federal plea mm-hmm. deal, in his own uh, federal case. And 
you've got all these investigations into state money that went to the Cinespace Studios. And so the question is, does Tom Cullerton know something about any of that that he can provide the feds? Maybe he doesn't. Maybe it's just a, a standard negotiation where, where the lawyers for both sides worked for months to come to an agreement where they'd reduce his charges and, and possible sentencing. But the interesting thing here is that there are just so many other things tangentially related to this. Yeah. And, and, and we must mention that Cullerton is, is part of a family political dynasty. Uh, Paris, could you fill us in a little on that? Sure. A cousin, a cousin of uh, the former state Senate president, John Cullerton, who retired back in 2019, and we should, I mean, we should make clear there, there's no implications right. surrounding uh, John Cullerton at all. He re- he retired on his own sort of uh, his desire to basically end his career uh, after he had been state senator. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take a look at uh, city politics now. Paris, can you map out for us where we are with the controversial ward remapping? <laughs> well. If you listen to the Latino caucus, who has put forward a proposal that would expand the amount of wards that uh, that have a majority Latino population, and it makes sense because the census indicates that that demographic has grown, they're saying now they're going to take this all the way to a referendum. So if there aren't 40 votes in city council, 41 actually, to approve one of these competing maps, it goes to a public referendum and the voters decide. And they got the endorsement of this kind of coalition of uh, groups that wanted the so-called people's map, which wanted to draw boundaries that sort of kept neighborhoods together, didn't Mm -hmm. carve up neighborhoods. So now they're aligned with the Latino caucus map. And then there's a map put forth by the city council's rules committee, which is backed by the black caucus. And it uh, has 17 majority black wards. So the the disagreement is on the um, the amount of majority black versus Hispanic wards. And, and you know, Gil Viegas uh, leading the charge on the Latino caucus map. It's n- got nothing to lose here because they don't ha- neither side has the votes. Mm-hmm. So they might as well, uh, from his perspective, take this to a public referendum, which by law has to happen if they don't get the votes from enough aldermen on any one of these maps. Yeah. Kimberly, do you think there's any chance of a compromise left between the black and Latino caucuses? Mm, I'm not sure. There doesn't seem to be the will, but you know how things work. You might get something at the very last minute. But right now, I don't, I don't see the middle ground, even though they're not that far off with the number of wards, which is so ironic. But right now, everyone seems to be holding their ground. Latino caucus plus uh, at least one Caucasian aldermen, uh, as well as one African-American alderman, they are holding fast to the idea that this proposal will have to go to the people. They mm-hmm. have already dropped a million dollars to get that together as far as having that advocacy to reach out to the citizens of the city of Chicago. So we'll just have to see what happens. Well, if it does go to a referendum, uh, when would the vote be, Paris? That's a good question. I think it's going to be, I think they have to have an agreement by June, and I think it's going to be in the next municipal election. Mm, but okay. Kim, June 28th you... or so? Yes. And, and Mayor Lightfoot expressed her frustration that her plan to sue Chicago gangs has once again failed to go to a vote in city council this week. Let's take a listen. I heard from a number of members that they didn't attend briefings and wasn't, weren't sure exactly what was in the ordinance itself. Kimberly, what are you hearing about this proposal? Well, 
it's very rare that you see a proposal that has opposition not only from civil rights organizations and police reform advocates, but also on the other side, the Police Lodge 7 president of the Fraternal Order of Police, John Cadenzara, is also against this proposal. And you know, of course, the proposal would say that gang members, they would be fined from ten to $15,000 for these offenses, and you would go after them civilly. There just seems to be a lot of opposition saying that this, in general, is not the right way to proceed with trying to stop some of the crime and, and the violence that's happening on the streets. And while the city council didn't vote on the mayor's plan to sue gangs, they did, however, approve her pick to lead the city's police accountability agency. Paris, tell us about Andrea Kirsten. Uh, Leading the COPA, the Civilian Office of Police Accountability, in the interim, since the former uh, administrator was let go, Sidney Roberts. And the controversy here was that COPA had produced a report following the aftermath of the Anjanette Young raid that named uh, the slain officer Ella French uh, in this report. Now, Ella French, of course, died honorably and tragically um, in the line of duty later. But what Kirsten had kept saying is this this report was finished before that tragic incident happened. And legally, you know, COPA can't just go back and redact someone's name from a report for any reason. That wasn't good enough for a lot of aldermen who were reflecting uh, the anger of some of the family members of French and, and some, you know, uh, police officers who said that it was dishonorable to put French's name in there. But, you know, as a compromise, uh, what Kirsten said was that, you know, going forward, we'll, we'll change the law here. We will redact the name of a police officer in one of our reports if it so happens that they die, you know, honorably in the mm-hmm. line of duty. So uh, addressing some of that sensitivity. Yeah. Well, meanwhile, the mayor still hasn't announced her pick to replace the inspector general who left several months ago. Uh, Paris, who's been doing the oversight of the city watchdog since Joe Ferguson left? Well, it's a, a guy named William Marbat. So he's been in that role in the interim now for several months. The police inspector general left the office. She had been in charge of a lot of the consent decree monitoring because she she is applying to be the full-time inspector general. But it's pretty shocking that we just don't hear anything about it. And, you know, the city, it is in city council's hands as well as the mayor. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they have to come up with, with a list of candidates here for the mayor to pick. But the thing that's, that should be concerning to Chicago residents is, you know, the inspector general's office for years and years and years, it, it took years for it to have any teeth of oversight yeah. over the mayor's office and city council. And under Joe Ferguson, over, over the time he gained that power, and now it looks like city council and the mayor are going back on that. And we just had our, what, our 37th or the older person indicted, uh, federally yeah. indicted. I mean, this city needs oversight. So there's no excuse. I mean, any reason why it's taking so long? No one, you know, we talked to all our people. They don't know why. I mean, I- unless you're totally in the loop on this process, there no one has any answers as to as to what exactly is going on. They've, they've well passed the time frame where they were supposed to have have gotten this process going. So you you can only surmise that it's just not a priority right now for the mayor or for city council, but it absolutely should be. I mean, you know, with months behind us, I mean, any speculation on who Lightfoot might pick? Um, Have there been any names popping up at all? Well, like I said, the only name we really know um, that we know is interested is the former police inspector general under uh, Joe Ferguson, her name mm-hmm. is uh, Deborah Witzberg, and so she had expressed interest in running for that position. 
Um, she's someone that, that Ferguson thought very highly of, so would certainly be a strong candidate. Beyond her, we haven't heard any other mm. names. And the mayor also made headlines this week because of some court testimony by former police superintendent Eddie Johnson. Uh, Kimberly, can you fill us in? Yes, definitely. Well, as you know, former Superintendent Eddie Johnson was fired or I don't know if it was resigned, fired. He was forced to leave. And there is is a pending sexual retaliation, sexual harassment lawsuit against him by officer, former officer or officer Cynthia Donald. Um, and it was said during arbitration earlier that Superintendent Eddie Johnson testified under oath that upon hearing about the sexual relationship, et cetera, with Cynthia Donald. The mayor allegedly told him to get rid of her, transfer mm-hmm. her as soon as possible, send her back to the first district, and I want it done today. And of course, the superintendent allegedly said, there's no debate, no conversation, I'll take care of it. There are other people who also, former CPD spokesman Anthony Guglielmi and also the deputy superintendent Anthony Riccio both testified at that hearing as well, saying that superintendent, former superintendent Johnson also told them immediately about the meeting with Lightfoot and that he was ordered to reassign Donald. So basically, uh, Donald, as well as Superintendent Johnson, want her to be, meaning Mayor Lightfoot, to be deposed. Well, Paris, how damaging do you think Johnson's testimony is for Mayor Lightfoot? Well, any time a a mayor is deposed uh, in any any kind of case, uh, it's super damaging. Uh, But, you know, at this point, it, it won't be terribly damaging in, until we get to that point. And, I, you know, I don't I don't know if th- this has reached that stage yet, you know, where, where it's on the general public's radar. And she certainly has a lot of um, other things to be oh, concerned yeah. about mm-hmm. right now. Well, another city council news, a group of aldermen blocked a vote on a police misconduct settlement involving five people pulled from their car outside the Brickyard Mall. Uh, Kimberly, remind us again what the details are behind this lawsuit. Well, yeah, this lawsuit is coming from an incident that happened during the unrest after the George Floyd murder uh, in Minneapolis. And there were several people belonging to a family and friends uh, in a car in the Brickyard Mall. And at that point, uh, there allegedly they had been accused of some of the looting that was going on at the mall. We don't know that to be true, but what we do know is that on video we have got photos of the police officers violently breaking into the car, uh, taking at least one person, throwing her on the ground. And we find out later that she lost use of her eye Mm -hmm. in that incident. So part of the lawsuit is come, or part of the settlement that the city council was supposed to take up, a huge chunk would go to her for loss of eye, uh, the inability to become what she she wanted to be an uh, EMT Mm -hmm. as a career. And the dispute it really surrounds, you know, whether or not they're trying to say that they were looting and that the police were justified. But in this case, I don't know how many people actually believe in any type of justification of that type of action. Yeah. Well, another police misconduct suit was filed this week. But first, uh, I want to caution listeners that this story discusses suicide. Um, the National Suicide Hotline number is one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. 273 Kimberly, what do we know about this case? So what we know is that it involves a a woman who was a former veteran who was at a bar. 
she was acting outwardly agitated, um, and there were just certain, uh, many different things that were showing that she was extremely agitated. The police came and took her to the police station, and while there, she kept screaming, I'm a veteran, I suffer from PTSD. They still put her in the lockup, and she was yelling and yelling, and they didn't check on her until she stopped yelling, and at which point they are saying that she committed suicide. So I think that the case really goes to the idea of when police put you in custody and you are in their custody, meaning they have control over what you do, what is their real responsibility? What is their duty of care? And in this case, signs are pointing to the fact that they knew she she basically told them ahead of time that I'm having this issue. I can't be in this room in this way. I'm having all of these issues. And yet they ignored her until they found her dead. That's WTTW co-anchor Paris Schutz and WVON host Kimberly Agowen. But there's plenty more news to get to in this second half of the recap, including these stories. A testing site gets raided on the northwest side. Chicago's vaccine mandate for police has been upheld by an arbitrator. Officers must get their first dose of the shot by March 13th. It's been a life-changing morning for some high school students in Chicago. They were surprised with a college scholarship. We will remove the indoor mask mandate and the vaccine requirement for certain public locations on February 28th. How are your listeners at WVON feeling about this move, Kimberly? I think that <laughs> I can't say unanimously because, of course, we have a very diverse audience, but many are still they want to hold on to the mask. This idea of getting rid of the masks, and we know what happened. I don't know if it was just a perfect storm, but the last time that there was this push by the CDC to say, if you are vaccinated, you don't have to wear your mask around other people who are vaccinated, and then the Delta variant Mm -hmm. hit, and we know the number of people, it was a, a huge number of people who passed away from that. So everyone is still concerned, and I think in general, many feel like wearing a mask is a small price to pay to try and keep the health, you know, keep health up. But it's really interesting that when we look at what's happening with all the mask mandates that are being dropped around the state and the city, CPS is one place where they are not dropping the mask mandate. And it was a bargain for uh, mask mandate by the Chicago Teachers Union. Of all people, they they got in, in the actual contract. They lost days from work to get in the actual contract that there would be a mask mandate to try and keep people safe. And that is going to be through at least August, unless it is overturned by a new lawsuit by parents who are in Mount Greenwood. Right, right. and we'll get to that in a bit. And, and just a reminder, the, the mandates are ending at restaurants, bars, fitness centers, but masks will still be required on public transit and healthcare buildings. Uh, Paris, what do theaters and music venues plan on doing? Well, I think they're taking a more cautious approach, Susie. I mean, I think they're going to leave it up to the individual music venues and theaters to decide what to do. But the group representing music venues, Civil, is saying uh, that customers should still carry a mask with them in their pocket and they should have their vax card with them because a venue might decide they still want to impose those rules. And the reason is because, you know, you're in close quarters Mm -hmm. in those venues and they know all too well what can happen if if anybody has a case you know and it infects someone in the staff and then they have to shut down and they've all you know they've all gone through the last two years of shutdowns and losing so much money that they want to be really careful and they, they there are some owners that are really afraid that you know they they were happy to have the the vax and the mask mandate mm-hmm. and they're afraid of you know any anything going wrong i mean covid is still out there the rates have come way down but 
you know, if, if your place becomes a, a, a place where it gets spread and it, it spreads to your staff and then you don't have staff and you have yeah. to shut down and you have to cancel a performance, there's a lot of jobs lost. That's a lot of money lost. And they're still worried about that. Yeah, definitely. Well, while the vaccine requirement is being lifted for most public spaces, a court arbitrator sided with the mayor that Chicago police will still need to be vaccinated. Um, FOP President John Catanzara didn't shy away from voicing his anger. Let's take a listen. And hold the line. Um, this mayor, this dictator, I can't even call her a mayor anymore, is more concerned about this nonsense and taking a victory lap as this variant disappears slowly but surely and everybody else eases restrictions. All she cares about is a win. She don't care about crime. She don't care about victims. She doesn't care about anything but a win. Those are strong words, Paris. How big of a win is this for the mayor? Well, certainly a big political win for the mayor who has, you know, made no bones about her beef uh, with the union president. And he said he wants to run for mayor. And she said it would be a gift if he did that. So it's kind of a clash of egos. And, and anytime one side has a victory in this, they're they're happy for themselves. But in terms of police, you know, the arbitrator ruled, you know, basically said it doesn't violate their collective bargaining agreement to impose this mandate. At this point, uh, about a quarter of police officers uh, are not vaccinated. And so they have uh, until March to get their first shot, April to get their second shot. It, it remains to be seen whether the mayor is going to want to strip all, you know, a quarter of police officers, we're talking about 3,000 or so police officers. I don't I don't know that the, the mayor or anybody wants to strip them of their pay or, or, yeah. or, or jobs if they don't comply. So we'll have to see. Um, it doesn't seem like Catanzara has any legal avenues. I mean, they both went to court over each other. And basically the result of the court case was that it has to go to an arbitrator. And the, and the arbitrator ruled. So, uh, you know, Catanzara doesn't want to back down, but he doesn't really have any options. And, and if you're Lightfoot in the police department, you don't want to have to, like, get rid of right. thousands of yeah. officers. But you do want them vaccinated. Yeah. But, you know, there also was a nuance there because we had on WVON, we did an interview with a firefighter who said basically there were a lot of people who actually were vaccinated. What they were having an issue with was reporting on the portal yeah, and they weren't yeah. sure what what the city planned on doing with the portal in which you would put your information about whether you're vaccinated they were not comfortable with the security of that so i don't know how much that also weighs in to the numbers of who's vaccinated also who who is already on pay status because there's a lot of information that has not been made public mm-hmm well, meanwhile, the fight over mask mandates in schools is now headed to the state Supreme Court. Uh, Kimberly, can you give us an update on that? There was a lot of discussion uh, at the state level with Governor Pritzker having this discussion about mask mandates, et cetera. And of course, it, it was overturned. They were they were saying that the basically the emergency powers had worn out. And I, at this point, Governor Pritzker is still fighting that challenge. And one of the things that he is saying is that it's important that he continue that fight because he needs to know what his powers are in the event there is an emergency. Will he be able to continue to have some type of emergency power? Let's say we have another flare-up with COVID-19 or, God right. forbid, something else. So he is continuing with this fight uh, to the state's top court. So he'll be able to know what he can do, what his rights are w across the state with future emergencies. And uh, school districts across the state uh, seem to be going mask optional, although in Cook County, it's it's uh, more of a mix. Uh, Paris, tell us more about that. 
Well, it certainly seems like a majority of the school districts now are mask optional. And then in Cook County, you saw the Chicago Catholic Archdiocese, uh, they decided uh, that when the city lifts its mask mandate, uh, overall mask mandate, not school mask mandate, but overall mask mandate come Monday, that they will go mask optional in their schools, even though, as Kimberly mentioned, CPS will stay, uh, you know, because of the collective bargaining and mask will still uh, be mandatory for CPS kids. And in, ter- in terms of the Sup- state Supreme Court, you know, I mean, they're under no obligation to take up this case really quickly. Obviously, the governor and the state attorney general want them to take it up right away. But I agree with Kim, this is going to be more about the future, because mm-hmm. it seems like by the time they take it up and, and possibly rule on it, we'll be further along here and, and, and more districts will have gone mask optional. And, you, you know, it, it might be past the point where the governor even wants to uh, keep the, a school mask mandate around. Right, right. Well, the lawyer who helped undo Illinois' school mask mandate announced he's running for attorney general. Uh, Paris, what can you tell us about Tom DeVore? Well, yeah, his name is Tom DeVore. He's a, he's a downstate attorney. He's kind of put himself at the center of some of these court cases uh, against uh, mask mandates. He he was a lawyer for downstate Senator Darren Bailey, mm-hmm. who now is running for governor, largely off of the, the popularity he gained by by opposing the mask mandate, having press conferences to, to oppose the mask mandate. Uh, DeVore, uh, as a result, maybe riding the coattails a little bit, but gaining a lot of publicity of his own, saying controversial things, managing these cases at one point, you know, offering money to someone who would produce pictures of Pritzker's children or family members violating uh, the mask mandate in, yep. in some way. So, you know, leveraging maybe the fame that he's gotten in cer- certain circles to run for attorney general in Republican primary up against uh, another person, Steve Kim who is, appears to have beyond that slate that's going to get tons of money from the state's richest resident, Ken Griffin. Uh, so it's probably going to be a tough a tough primary mm-hmm. uh, and would be a tough uh, general election, but no doubt leveraging sort of the notoriety that he's gotten with these cases to, to run for political office. Well, in other campaign news, J.B. Pritzker uh, has endorsed Chicago City Clerk Anna Valencia for Secretary of State. Uh, Paris, what's the governor's endorsement mean for this race? Well, I think it's a very big deal. And, you know, once sort of the the grand poobah here, the godfather, uh, you know, Jesse White offered Mm -hmm. his endorsement for her. It it made sense for Pritzker to, you don't want to go against Jesse White, who's, you know, kind of an icon in in Illinois politics at at this point. And so, you know, he offered his endorsement for her. So it made sense for the governor to go on. You know, it, it, he, he likes the historic aspect of it, being a Latina woman um, running for the office. You know, the other person that had had a lot of momentum was Alexi Janulius, the former state treasurer. He had uh, gathered a ton of endorsements, but seems to have stalled uh, here a little bit as uh, Valencia, who has been highly thought of as the city clerk. Uh, she, you know, she marshaled the role out of the city ID. Mm-hmm. You know, she seemed to have gotten the momentum and maybe some of it has to do with some of Janulius's past baggage, you know, people might remember when he ran for senator, U.S. senator against Mark Kirk. You know, a lot came out about his family's bank that went under, that collapsed, basically, that Janulius had worked for. You know, should that dog him into his entire career? I mean, that's probably an open question, but it it might still be a factor. Mm -hmm. So FBI agents raided yet another local COVID testing site on the northwest side of Chicago. What do we know about Lab Elite Paris? Well, I would I would point listeners to to the Block Club stories. They were the first to report this, and they've you know they've kind of kept up on 
all of these uh, these COVID testing centers that kind of popped up out of nowhere uh, that received all this COVID money that you know did things like this company Lab Elite out of Norwood Park is is accused of doing by folks you know not responding. Mm-hmm. Uh, not getting tests to people, a, a lot of shady thing. They received seventy-seven million dollars from the federal government, uh, and now you know it's clear that the uh, attorney general, the feds, uh, uh, are looking into them as they're looking into some of these other companies. And you know the picture that emerges here is for for folks, it's it's been allegedly uh, you know a good grift, you know, mm-hmm. to set up these these COVID testing sites uh, and say, you know, you're, you're, you know, reliable and, and what you get all this federal reimbursement and, and who knows what you're doing with all those millions of dollars, because clearly these sites are, are, are not functioning very well. Yeah. Well, hopefully with more accessibility to at-home tests, there will be less need for uh, these types of facilities. Um, Well, shifting now to a bit of good news, thousands of CPS students got the surprise of their lives this week. Without tuition, your room and board, your books and fees will be paid for, and you will go to college for free. Kimberly, tell us about Hope Chicago. Yes, Hope Chicago, this organization that is offering full tuition, room and board, and they have chosen five schools around the, the city of Chicago. We already know two of them. I believe it's Benito Juarez and, as well as Morgan Park. I'm thinking I'm getting those two correct. And both had major news in which those students went to an assembly and found out that they will have their fees paid for college. And we're talking about uh, good universities, public universities, as well as others. And in some cases, if they're not going to go to a four-year university, if they're going to go to a technical school, maybe receive some type of technical training, that will be covered. And in other cases, if you're a parent of a student who is also seeking those type of opportunities, that will be taken care of as well. Former CPS CEO Janet Jack, Janet, I always get her. This is so hard. I hear Janet you. No, Jackson. I make that mistake I too. Janet Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> but she was one of the, of course, she is leading the, these efforts and um, I believe she's over the organization now. So it's really exciting news for students who otherwise may not have a path to get higher education. Yeah, that's a, that's a life-changing news for sure. Uh, well, shifting over uh, to back to the mayor, the mayor shared more details about who's eligible for Chicago's new basic income pilot program. Uh, Paris, what did we learn this week? Well, that we learned that it's going to be a lottery uh, for folks to apply to get this $500 monthly stipend as part of this pilot program, and you have to meet certain income requirements. You have to uh, have been in some way affected by the COVID-19 pandemic. Either you lost your job or you, you had to you were temporarily uh, um, gone from your job. I mean, I did a story a couple months ago uh, on the fact that this passed, you know, $31 million for this program passed in the last budget, but nothing really had been up and running yet. And, you know, what what we learned was that they, they really were starting from scratch. I mean, they, they had to contract this out for someone to come run this. So clearly they've done that now. And, you know, and, and kudos. To, I mean, they've gotten that up and running in, in pretty short order. Some of these some of this kind of things can take forever to bid out something for a contract like this. The question is, you know, is this going to go on beyond the next year or two when right. that COVID money runs out? Because as we said, it's COVID money being used for this pilot program. And, and it goes with a movement here. You see this happening, Gary. You see this happening some other places to uh, for universal basic income to try this out, to see if this is a way to you know, help lift people out of poverty mm-hmm. because the, the results have been 
favorable in some places that it's you know the money's used for good things. I mean, it's used to help people get training. It's used because people want you know to be self-sustaining. I, yeah. You know, it's a small program. Do we really can we are we really going to be able to read? Does this work on a large scale mm-hmm. from this program? But it's a start. Yeah. Well, Kimberly, what what kind of difference do you think five hundred dollars a month could make for families? Uh, do you think this could be sustainable for the city? Yeah, you know, I think that the city always, you know, and I think many people feel this way, they find money for the things that they uh, want it for. I know a lot of the money that has come to the city for, for example, during COVID-19, the piggy banks were open for that, and a lot of that went to pensions and, you know, hiring new police officers and that type of thing. So I think that $500 could make a significant, we are talking about people who are in extreme poverty. So it definitely, to have that as a a fail safe, something to fall back on, to be able to have that leeway, it may not mean much to people who are making a huge salary. Of course, they may thumb their nose at it, but that will have a major impact, just like the tax uh, refunds and that type of thing during COVID-19 really helped a lot of people around the country. So it's definitely something that people are looking forward to. But the next thing that uh, a lot are looking forward to is how are the families going to be chosen? Mm -hmm. Because there are so many people who are below the poverty line in the city of Chicago. What will be the dynamics behind who exactly will be chosen to receive these benefits? That's all for today's Reset. For more conversations that go behind the headlines and bring you context to the local news of the day, subscribe to this podcast. We bring you a new episode every weekday afternoon. I'm Susie Ann. Sasha Ann Simons is back on Monday. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend.